criticism. I just had to call in to respond to this week's installment of Never Trump Drivel from Terry Mattingly. Compliments. I love the interviews and insights because they help me battle the slings and arrows of outrageous theology and practice. Clarification. Is there a point where, without baptism, infants go to heaven, and after which time they go to hell if they're not baptized? The Issues Etc. Comment Line, 618-223-8382. The new left has consistently been anti-humane since the 1960s, and I think they want so deeply to remake the human person in their image that they're willing to run over acres and acres of bodies to get there. You wouldn't tell someone in 1860s U.S. who's fighting for abolition, oh, don't be a culture warrior. No, you'd say that's great. It's good that we should be fighting against the abomination of slavery. But in the same way, you also wouldn't want them to ignore spiritual reality only for the sake of anything political. One of the things that is perhaps becoming more and more obvious in our contemporary context is An awful lot of people who have perhaps sat in church every Sunday of their lives do not always know what God considers pleasing. So our prayer for Israel is not only that the war that is currently ravaging that region would come to an end, but we pray that their war against the Messiah would be brought to an end so that they can be grafted back into the olive tree that they were broken off of because of their unbelief. Colorado trumpet players love issues, etc. Soldiers speak about the fog of war, the inability to get accurate information when you're on the ground. I guess journalists have the same problem, especially when covering something, well, literally war, like the Israel-Hamas war. But how has it been complicated with instant access granted by social media and digital technology. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Wednesday afternoon, October the 18th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll talk with Terry Mattingly about digital technology, social media, journalism, and the Israel-Hamas war. We'll spend some time with you, our listeners, going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Then we'll look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary We'll deal with paying taxes to Caesar in Matthew 22. Pastor Sean Denzer will be our guest. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow for the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate in the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. What are the Gaza facts as we know them right now? That's, of course, I would argue, an unanswerable question. And the fact that it's unanswerable is what really lets us know where we are right now in terms of our level of ability to trust the news we consume. If you'll think back, you'll remember when I spoke at that Issues Etc. conference a couple of years ago. The question that I kept getting over and over from the audience was, how do we find news that we can trust? Now, they weren't talking about a war zone. They weren't talking about being the Israeli citizen 
that I wrote about, the journalist that I wrote about in a piece on Monday, Forget Religion, who talked about the horrifying reality of being in Israel during the original attack. We're not talking about any of that. We need to talk about the fact where we are in terms of the media in general, and then we can apply that to what happened in Gaza. And this isn't explicitly a religion story, except that everything that happens in a battle in Israel is ultimately a religion story. Julia Dean wrote a post for us at Get Religion on that earlier this week. When I was picking the art for this piece that I wrote, the headline was Clouds of Images, Blood, and Chaos as Old School News Chases the Digital Hamas Blitz. There's a lot in there, but when I was trying to think of art to go with that post, and at Get Religion, we always have what was called thumbnail art. It's a small image out front. It's supposed to just be kind of like an eye grabber. And I was trying to think, what is it I'm trying to say here? What is it we're talking about when we answer a question like, what are the facts of the Gaza attack, the hospital attack? Well, first of all, we don't know it was an attack. Or we don't know if it was an attack on the hospital. But anyway, the graphic I ended up choosing was a GIF of the famous green scrolling down numbers and letters from the movie The Matrix, the code for the false world in which people could no longer believe their eyes because they knew it was all pretend. And to some degree, that sounds horribly bleak, but I think that's almost where we are if you look at this story through the eyes of all of the participants. But now I'm going to attempt to answer your question. Here's what we think we know, and I think this is a time when listeners need to know we're recording this, like say, on Wednesday afternoon. Things could change in the next couple of hours. If you tried to verify the facts, you still have competing claims for the origin of the rocket, and then you have different people describing technical evidence for what the facts are. Now, normally as a country, as a news audience, we like technical facts. We like things like satellite images. We like drone footage. We like radar evidence shows. We like grabbed cell phone calls where we overhear conversations. And all of those things are currently involved. We'll get to them in a second. But everybody is starting off with the New York Times headlines as they continued to edit their way through this in the opening hours. And this is, of course, the problem. When something like this happens, the news industry thinks that it has to go with something definitive right now. So the New York Times headline was, Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. Now, that headline did not age well, and the New York Times edited it a couple of times without really saying to readers that they were editing it. It ended up with at least 500 dead in blast at Gaza Hospital, Palestinians say. 
the only attribution in that headline is the Palestinian groups themselves. But at least they took out of the headline the fact, the claim that it was in fact an Israeli rocket. And at this point, I don't think anybody is aware of any Israeli rocket attacks. I think they're attacking through other means. I could be wrong about that. But I started writing it down. If you were writing that headline, or if you were reading that headline and just trying to decide whether you trust it, what facts would you trust? Who would you trust to verify the information in that headline? Would you trust Hamas itself? I would argue that very few people would, but Palestinians say could be any number of groups in Gaza, either linked to Hamas or in Hamas directly. Would you trust the Israeli government at this point to give you verified truth or newsrooms in Israel? Some people would, and some people would not. At this point in the game, would you trust the White House? President Biden stood up and said, we have satellite images that shows that this was not an Israeli attack. This was a mistake. It was Palestinians firing rockets at Israel, and we can trace this back to a common point, and one of the rockets malfunctioned and fell right next to this hospital. Well, if you're in America right now, do you trust President Biden or not? What if Donald Trump said that? What would the level of trust be in those claims of scientific evidence if it was Donald Trump, either President Donald Trump or even now former President Donald Trump? In light of what we've been through as a country with Russian hoaxes and everything else, would you trust just right off the bat, just look at it and trust it, CNN, the New York Times, National Public Radio, BBC, or the Associated Press, with levels of trust in our journalism marketplace right now, the degree to which news consumers don't trust journalism, don't trust journalists. I'd say that that number is going to be pretty low. And then would you trust Fox News or even the Daily Wire? Well, obviously, large majority of Americans would not. So last thing I'm going to say, would you trust your own eyes? And this is what's so stunning about that Haratz piece that I wrote about at Get Religion on Monday. What if you were actually there and you're hearing gunshots outside your door and you've got your phone in your hand and your phone is going crazy with posts on X and Facebook and every other software program, Telegram, WhatsApp, everything is going nuts. And some of them are showing you actual video. Maybe right now you trust that. But as we move deeper into the age of deep fakes and artificial intelligence, 
do you trust those images? And I was trying to think, okay, Mattingly, cut to the chase here. What would you trust? At this point, (laughs) maybe this says something about me as an individual, but if Elon Musk went on X and said, we are seeking information from SpaceX satellites, and according to our own technology, we can now show you an image of where the rocket took off and where it landed. Trust me on this. Well, he does own his own satellite network. Freedom of the press belongs to people who own one. What percentage of the public would trust Twitter at this moment? Or X, the platform now called X. So that's an awful lot of confusion I just hit our listeners with. But guess what? There's more, and we could get to that in a minute. What's your reaction to that list? Who would you trust out of that list? I don't know if I trust any of them. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking with Terry Mattingly about digital technology, social media, journalism, and the Israel-Hamas war. We can all watch it in real time on social media if we look hard enough, but are we sure we're seeing what it claims to be? Everything appears to be out of context. The Church's Music from the 20th Century. The 17th Century. The 11th Century. Eighth century. The fourth century. The best of the church's music from the past two thousand years. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Talk radio for the thinking Christian. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, president of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth. Freedom, vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. 
Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about social media journalism and the Israel-Hamas war. He's senior fellow at the Overbee Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi, founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. So Terry asked the question, what would you trust? And sometimes you were put in the position of not even trusting your own eyes. I occasionally run across what purports to be a contemporaneous video from Gaza or Jerusalem or Tel Aviv. And I have no way of verifying any of those claims. But I do know one Correct. thing. It's because they're out of context. I wouldn't recognize the, the skyline of Jerusalem unless I'm looking at mm-hmm. the Dome of the Rock or something like that. Uh, much less any cities in Gaza. So it's out of context. I have to take their word for it. I don't want to take their word for it because I'm trying to be skeptical. But I do know one thing. With very few exceptions, most people will believe the video that advances the narrative they want to believe. And that's a real problem for journalism. Isn't yeah. It? And that's something that's increasing. And we've been talking about this a lot. And I wrote a piece for the Acton Institute, the evolving religion of journalism that was based totally on why our media is now structured to only preach to the choir, because that's the only surefire way that you can be guaranteed to stay in business. Biased news is now good business. And that remember, we're just in the American context. You take this out to Saudi Arabia, the West Bank, what are people hearing in Iran? What are people, I mean, these people that are trying to crash into U.S. embassies, where are they getting their news? I was exchanging some emails the other day and I'm following Twitter X, and I began to wonder this amazing new publication called The Free Press, led by Barry Weiss and several of their writers. And people were saying, well, nobody should trust what's on there because a lot of those people that are writing are Jews. And they didn't seem to realize what they had just said. Yet at the same time, the Associated Press had to take one of its reporters off this story because he has extremely close ties and has marched in demonstrations in favor of fairly radical forms of Palestinian organizations and stuff. And now he's covering the people with whom he was marching with. So – I don't I think we're even struggling right now to define what proper journalism would look like. But what we know is that we don't have it. We don't have anything we can trust. Let me read one or two really crucial quotes. Rod Dreer wrote an amazing essay and he gets right to the point I'm trying to make. What really happened to that hospital? meaning the origin of the missile, is now beside the point. People have their truth. The war cry has gone out. As I write this at nearly 6 in the morning Central European time, U.S. embassies and consulates throughout the Arab world and in Turkey are under siege. By the time American readers see it, it might be obsolete. That's how fast this story is moving. Many things that haunted me out of the piece from Israel that I wrote my post about earlier. At the end, he said some words that to a journalist just shake you. He was talking about, he was looking at an image of an elderly woman who was identified as an Israeli hostage. 
And he looked at it and he went, that looks fake. But what if it's real? Okay, who produced it? Was this produced by Hamas? Was this by an Israeli government that he happens to be critical of? How do you know it looks fake? And he ended up by saying, I saw more videos, tweets, and newscasts than I normally see in a week or even a month. He's talking about the first four to five hours of the attack. And I still don't know what happened. At the time of writing, the shock is not due only to Hamas's attack, but to the ungraspable, unreliable, and unending onslaught of information. But earlier he said, what we have is information. What we don't have is what we used to call news. Something that some sort of professional product, some sort of information that we thought was verified to some degree. Let me ask just some other questions I want our listeners to think about here at midweek or late midweek or whatever it is. Was the hospital actually attacked? Is there a possibility that this whole thing was simply a bad accident, that a rocket intended for Israel fell short and blew up this hospital or part of the surrounding of this hospital? When you ask that, you'd say, in whose interest is it for hundreds of Palestinians to die? Is that in the U.S. interest? No. Is it in Israel's interest? No, clearly no, in terms of the national fallout from this, the global fallout from this. Was it in the interest of Hamas for all those Palestinians to die? As just a crude matter of PR and math, I think you would have to say yes, that it helped the cause of Hamas that those people were blown up and that we're going to have blood in the street in other parts of, of the world. Here's another question. Hamas normally uses human shields, and one of the things they're famous for doing is putting rocket launchers and ammunition stores in places that they know Israel will not want to attack because lots of civilians will be killed. So was this blast as big as it was because the rocket happened to hit an ammunition supply for Hamas? Is that why this thing blew up Is it as big as it is? The minute I ask that question, I hear my voice saying, okay, who would you trust on that information? Here's another big question. Israel is asking Palestinians to flee the Gaza Strip before Israel attacks, if and when Israel does attack, based on what America does, Iran does, Saudi Arabia does, and whatever else. But what about the reports that Hamas is actually blocking the exit routes out of Gaza because they know that the more Palestinians are out of Gaza, the fewer who can be killed, and thus the easier it is for Israel to come in. And then I want listeners to flash back just two days. This is all moving so fast. Did anybody follow the debates in the U.S. media about whether the babies in the kibbutz nurseries and homes, whether the babies were, quote, just killed, or were they actually beheaded? 
And we're, so now we're arguing about whether it's better or worse for babies just to be killed than it is for them to be beheaded. And who would you trust for information on a story like that? Well, it came from the Israeli government, which to half of the world means that obviously has to be false. It came from the Israeli government. Now we have all the audiences for all of this. Saudi Arabia, Jordan. Don't forget Middle Eastern Christians who are caught in the middle of all this. How about Palestinians who actually oppose Hamas? There are lots of them. How would you like to be working in the PR or advertising department right now for major corporations or the administration at Harvard with your students signing letters petitioning basically to destroy Israel, if you know what from the river to the sea Palestine must be free means? And what about the people in Australia and elsewhere chanting, gas the Jews? We had news organizations trying to figure out whether they should quote that. Would it be bad for the story if you quoted that crowds were on video chanting, gas the Jews? I could go on and on with this, but I think listeners can get the point. What's my advice? I'm going to ask people to deliberately seek information in which the journalists are saying this is what we know from clearly named sources. And then you can really respect of the journalists if they say we do not have this verified from voices on both sides of this conflict. Tell the reader, the listener, the viewer, tell them what you don't know. We have a screaming need right now for modesty in journalism claims and in the copy that we're seeking. And so I'm going to advise our listeners, look for modest journalism. Don't go for the clickbait. Read the stories that clearly identify the sources of their information even their images, even their satellite footage, whatever we end up with, look for clear identifications and look for journalists who are willing to tell you we don't know everything. It's not going to make you feel comfortable, but I'm hoping it will lead you into a state where you're not as quickly driven to despair as you try to watch this and figure it out. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. When we come back, it's listener email, the issues, etc. comment line. Then in hour two of issues, etc. we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving. 
change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. This is Kevin Hildebrand, Cantor at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, inviting you to our campus in November for the annual Good Shepherd Institute Conference, November 5th through 7th. This year's conference includes addresses by Brian Spinks, Paul Grimm, and James Busher, and there's excellent music, including a Bach cantata with the Seminary Cantorai and a hymn festival at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. For complete details, visit ctsfw.edu slash GSI. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, one student at a time. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective.